0: 11 is when I graduated from Carnegie Mellon uh, in Pittsburgh. At that time, I remember we had participated in one of the startup competitions on campus. And at that time, I didn't even really know what the startup world is. It was just a competition. I, I want to do something which was not curricular. And you know, I was like, okay, let me give it a shot. And entrepreneurship is something that, you know, is, is, is more in my DNA. You know, all, all my previous generations have been entrepreneurs. So there was this whole small thing that, you know, at some point would love to do a business and things like that, but had no idea or understanding of it. Uh, we actually won, like me and my team won. That uh, competition back in 2011 at CMU, uh, and they offered us like a four-seater office on campus to really incubate the idea. And I had no, I you know, no clue about what this incubation means, what a startup and company really means. My whole focus was I want to kind of join some large company and build, you know, be a part of their great vision, climb the corporate hierarchy, do some consulting work, you know, advise Fortune 500 customers and whatnot. So that's that's how I started my career back in the US. Uh, but quickly over the first you know 2 to 3 years in in that journey more at deloitte uh, by meeting a lot of customers kind of realized that uh, you know while all this new like large company world sounds very fancy like behind the scenes it's pretty basic you know? there are people who are working to solve certain problems on a daily basis uh, and there are challenges that they face every single time there are process challenges people challenges tech challenges market challenges and there's so much exposure that that I got and I realized that you know, hey this is actually very much like Running your own business its just a very large scale and the problems are different and if i can take back some of those insights and really capture a market opportunity which at least i could see on paper working out uh, you know i thought that would be a good time and in 2014 honestly i was what 25 26 years old the whole thought was you know there's nothing to lose and i had my uh, see sa- enough sufficient savings to kind of call out that okay you know i am independent now financially I don't have to really go and raise even a friends and family round. So I'll be able to survive for a year, right? And if in worst case, you know, I'll lose my savings, which was not again as large of a sum. So like, okay, I think it's worth giving a shot, you know, at the age I am at. And, and that was How did your
1: family, how did your family react? Like you uh, studying in the US and then you know working with uh, Deloitte and moving all the way back to India and starting a company. Yeah, yeah there are two kinds of
0: reactions <laughs> that you typically get. One was from the believers and non-believers the believers would be very excited to back you which were my you know parents uh, but a lot of friends and other you know societal um, people or relatives may not always be believers
1: so from that initial you know support system say from the family and everyone when business got started and when all the founders were together and now you were on a roll and trying to figure out the market who were the first few people who like really came forward and supported you because it was a new market for you at the end of the day yeah I had
0: never worked in India so the whole thought was to start in US itself but the moment we registered the company we realized that you can't work for your own company Without a visa and that was like a new reality that I kind of realized oh wow you can't be your own boss in the US you have to sponsor to be your own boss <laughs> you have to sponsor yourself and you're yes. right? very strange uh, and that's what led to moving back to India while well, India was not really on the on the plan that was just there was just no other option because no other country would accept us to really go and experiment Secondly, India was obviously much more affordable market, uh, but we were like very much worried in terms yeah. of, oh, should we even go and talk to people about this? Like, right? what if we get judged? Right? What if people are like, you know, shutting doors on us? Right? Even our own people who who advised us, mentored us, you know, in our college days. But we still kind of did there. So you know, reached out to our managers uh, in our you know, companies we used to report to, our mentors there. Some of the senior partners at Deloitte were, you know, open to helping. Some of the professors at CMU we reached out some of them were like you know hey we don't have bandwidth so you know can't do much about it but some of them were open to at least having a brainstorming session let's let's do a call
1: are you able to call out say top three names people who like really influenced and helped you in your journey
0: absolutely i think the number one person that comes to my mind is mark Desantis. still very much involved in terms of advising us even in the seventh year of operations after starting but um i remember we had reached out to him he was very cooperative he was like yeah you know just stop by pittsburgh let's have a day let's have a day worth of brainstorming session i was like wow this is you know a lot of time he's willing to spend and he used to be our professor for entrepreneurship okay. and he used to also be a mayoral candidate in Pittsburgh so uh, he had his couple of startups which he had sold by that time whether investors private equity investors mm-hmm. or large corporations like GE mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. on. so he kind of knew how this cycle entirely runs and plus of course he was the professor for entrepreneurship so he was you know nothing less than proud that you know All in,
1: yeah.
0: going <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that doesn't happen often to him so so mark is still like somebody who is the first person to call when we fail. And I think that's what my lesson number one was, that, you know, good mentors do not ask for ownership in your company. They do not ask for commitment from your side. They are willing to commit them to you whenever you want. Um, uh, Sanjay was, you know, uh, very helpful. Sanjay actually, Sanjay Mehta who is one of, who eventually became one of our investors as well. He was one of the first people we met at this GeoGen Next. And Sanjay was one of the people who had taken a session on how to start a business and how to raise money.
1: Very cool. Very cool. So, uh, thank you for sharing that. Coming to your customers, who were your first few customers, like really, really first and how did you get them?
0: Um, So, the very first customer we had, like we had a lot of small customers which you wouldn't really know nobody would have known but one of the large breakthrough that we had was with uh, Mahindra Logistics and I remember it was 2015 when we had when we were just closing our first round, we had barely developed any product. We had found some common connect with that, uh, you know, one of the operations head, um, like, you know, sitting somewhere in Goregaon in Mumbai. And I remember, you know, so very early on, I had taken the sales job uh, at Logitech. So the, the roles were very clearly differentiated. So I knew that I have to go and make you know, make pitches to meet customers and understand. So in the beginning, you know, we kind of just met them to, to understand what they do and just discuss what we have built uh, so far and what we want to build. The good part was that, again, even from the customer perspective, if you're not very pushy in sales, they are okay to open up mm-hmm. and share what their challenges are and what their brutal feedback is about what you're talking about. Um, and that was, I, I remember my first sales pitch where have, had a conversation, learned a lot from that, that one or two hour of meeting, went back, sketched out some of the other additional screens and went back to that person again and said, you know, Hey, Mr. X, you know, do you think something like this would make sense, uh, which was maybe a tweaked version of what we were thinking. Uh, and that was very exciting because he ultimately wanted like more visual and real time transportation system. And mm-hmm. the current one that he had was very ugly and on-premise and slow. It was not real time, uh, so he kind of liked the whole concept of you know things are coming on map. You know, it's more traffic-based, just more you know software-driven versus people-driven. Right, right,
1: right. So that
0: kind of clicked, uh, and he was like, you know, I'm happy to take this to our you know CXOs and propose this as mm. long as you guys make some a month mm. or two months of process, you know, progress to really get somewhere where you can mm. show you can. I was like, great, you know, this is the first demo opportunity let us to do that. Build stuff for about thirty to forty-five days. Uh, went back with a demo which was you know very customized and it would only work for that use case not very scalable but could show something in their yeah CXO, what the cxo access why this person uh, everybody was very happy they were like okay now we would love to start with you know x dollars or more. and then, yeah. we, then the first time we kind of went through a uh an enterprise agreement process enterprise mm. negotiation process, you know uh, yeah, because st- this
1: was a big customer mm mm-hmm. They have their own procurement thing. Right, right?
0: So right. Talk to a procurement team. Okay, this is how procurement teams act. Uh, this is what their goals are versus other mm. stakeholders' goals. So how do you really align all of it? Yeah. So all that very kind of learning happened. It took about three four months to kind of get started, but we get started and we kind of you know we still have them as a customer and we're very very happy.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, so, you know, if you think back about seven to eight years, what have been some of the major learnings or insights that you might have discovered, which is helping you or something that you wish you knew early on, which is kind of helping you now? I think number
0: one thing, if I had known the value of the founding team, I think we see really in the very, in the first couple of years being young entrepreneurs. Uh, what I ended up doing wrong was not valuing the early teams enough and then you are usually when you, when you say when I say not valuing the team meaning trying to undercut in terms of quality expectations and bringing people who may not be able to scale beyond the point oh, you naturally wow. of course attract the best talent because there's nothing you have on the table to really showcase to them to attract mm-hmm. them but spending a lot of time on attracting quality talent uh, or at least having two or three very strong founding team members can do, uh, you know, can result into exponentially higher growth eventually mm-hmm. for you and uh, much lesser amount of stress. Um, and yeah. of course, they can help you build culture, they can help you build processes, a lot of it, like you know, what we ended up doing in the first couple of years, which in mm-hmm. hindsight, I would not do it again if I, you know, if I would ever start a company again, is, um, is to make sure that the early team members are, are are scalable. We invest a lot of time, not money, because resources are always limited in the beginning, uh, but we would invest a lot of time into them. Uh, yeah, so that we can for sure. Them and not just focus on customer and product. I think mean, there are three aspects to an organization, customer, product, and people. Correct. You only focus on customer and product,
1: mm-hmm. which also
0: you know helps you succeed, but fixing people part early on can That's help you leapfrog.
1: Got it, got it. Very interesting. So, and and were your investors and, you know, initial investors were able to help you in this team building early on? And, and you've got some marquee investors, like people like Vijayashigal Sharma and all, uh, you know, and you closed some significant funding round initially as well. So were they able to help you build this team initially? And uh, what was the support system that you got from your first
0: few investors? Right. So I think for for, for us, uh, to be very honest, investors did not add, not that they did not want to add, but we never sought any team value from them. I think we had very, you know, at least for me, I was very clear in my mind that investors value, which I still believe that investors value is to really make sure that you stay afloat. Uh, you know, keeping really, the lights on. Keeping the lights on, right. That's That's what the value should be adding. Like building the company, like customer product and people is what a founder has to do right so you can't really delegate your or even can't, can't even seek much help except for kind of seeking a couple of references of you know good people post right, like, right, you know, right. your jobs on their social media for sure. you know, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but that doesn't really get much so we did not really seek much or get much of a team building value from our investors i think mm-hmm. for us the primary value of our investors was to get us industry insights which yeah. they would have access to and also obviously you know being patient enough to live through the mistakes we make yeah uh, uh, right. so to so
1: talk a bit about your fundraising experience like how how was the fundraising experience uh, like and i read it somewhere that like you closed funding in like a
0: week's time is that true uh, that's incredible like yeah. is it
1: easy for drovel to raise money
0: it is so every single time when i am in the fundraising process at that time it looks difficult obviously in hindsight it looks easy <laughs> so now i can say yeah you know now i can always I can, now I'm very confident I can raise like a C, D, E round or how many other oh, I wow! Need the value I need, because I know what investors really value. Okay. And it's just fundamentally about that. If you can showcase what they need in a company.
1: So what is and it? Then, what is it? We would love to know.
0: What is it? It's, it's, it's a, it's a very, in early stages, having a very early signs of product market fit and large market size. It doesn't mean having a slide or that, oh, we have a ten dollars market, right? That's not what a large market size means. A large market size, in addition to having large numbers, really is about, are you able to excite the investors to truly believe that your market is large? You can capture a lot of it and the market is consistently gonna grow. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, So
0: for us, right, when we were like, when we started, it was, you know, there was nothing called SaaS in India. Like nobody would understand SaaS world. So we used to go and say, you know, we are SaaS company nobody would fund us. So like we used to call ourselves a B2B tech. and within logistics, you know, what exactly is the segment we are talking about? What are the other segments? You know, what exactly are the problems in those segments versus our segment? And this is this is the size of the segment by doing like, you know, having some research that there are 5,000 companies in this segment who has this problem, they can potentially pay us X dollars because we have some proven track record with some companies Uh, And then if we go to XYZ countries, we can probably increase that. After five years, we can probably like to build more other features which we can upsell, cross-sell to really get to a larger market size. And that entire storytelling and excitement creation is very, very important.
1: Yeah, so that mean, I,
0: I, you know, that's something investors like and obviously early signs of product market fit where they would like to would talk to your customers, right? So opening up your customer stories early on in the Yeah,
1: yeah. speaking of that and the big market, how big is Logitech next right now? How big is your team? Uh, what's the market size? What's like the big vision and uh, what are you looking at, uh, say, five years down the line?
0: So I think for us, uh, so currently we are uh, 200 people. From a people perspective, we you know, I can't discuss the I can share. We don't really share the revenue numbers as openly, but uh, we are into you know multi-million dollars ERR, uh, which is our key north metric in terms of you know the the, the only number that we chase, uh, which is our license revenue from our software. Um, and we typically focus on helping customers automate their entire home delivery process because any retailer who is offline. And wants to go e-commerce, wants to do fulfillment, last-mile delivery, home delivery, uh, which is kind of now, you know, very obvious after the pandemic. But was not as obvious to a lot of companies earlier. Uh, you know, they don't have a tech stack to really transform their business because their business was always about fulfilling goods to their stores, and it ends there. Now, when you have to fulfill goods to your customers directly, it's a very different ballgame, economically, process-wise, people-wise, tech-wise. So that's something we help them do. Uh, And uh, I think, you know, in in five years, the goal is to ultimately do an IPO. Right now we are uh, just kind of becoming, I would not say IPO ready from a financial perspective, but we are building processes, building leadership. Uh, building the right customer base which can eventually lead lead us to those metrics that we would love to you know showcase to public investors eventually Mm -hmm. Uh, and if we get there you know in five years we'll be very very happy may may take longer also of course yeah
1: yeah 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 it's it's about the journey and being uh, being on your game Um, so you, you know speaking of that how do you think about drone delivery and the future of logistics and what's kind of coming uh, there's there's a lot happening in just the supply chain side of things a lot of changes happening how do you think about that well i don't think so
0: i have a strong i'm not a believer of drone delivery for uh, for much of it i think we're gonna enter the driver le- driverless you know vehicle segment before we have like flying vehicles drone mm-hmm. is nothing but a flying vehicle mm-hmm. the challenge with that is first of all uh, very simple technical challenges where you know drones have a limitation of range due to that they are because they are battery operated so weight battery life and battery size are the three constraints that these drone manufacturers keep optimizing which will get keep getting optimized but there's a long journey to it So mm-hmm. it's like thinking in 1990s you know when we when are we going to have smartphones so there is a couple of decades kind of a journey which is also very fast but still it's, it's two decades for, you know, away Uh, And drones are anyways not designed for uh, long distance uh, shipment. So this is only micro area fulfillment which can, can enable even if it gets there at some point. Plus there are regulatory issues because you can't have thousands of drones flying all over. There are safety issues because what if drones crash? You know, there's, yeah, there's, there's, I think
1: there's a lot, lot of work going on from a sky infrastructure perspective. But uh, that gives me a good, good segue. Say if you have a choice between investing in a driverless future logistic company, you were saying like a drone, sky infrastructure, Elon Musk type of a company, where would you put your money in?
0: Driverless companies, for sure. Because that's, that's something I'm seeing as it happens. It's going to be there in like, it will hit very soon. Like globally we are going to see more and more driverless vehicles uh, in this decade itself um there are like, like, you know, a couple of weeks ago i saw uh, you know i saw it myself like a driverless uh, you know semi-truck which is like a huge trailer in us right fueling itself by stopping it and refueling which is which was just like very magical thing to see <laughs> yeah, yeah driving on a highway still like okay it's like straight route but Fueling yourself is another thing altogether. So it was very exciting, and that's that. What gave me a lot of hope that, and plus we see all of our customers investing into these things. So we talked to these VPs and CxOs who owns budgets now right. to really invest into electric vehicles, driverless vehicles. Um, so since it's already twenty twenty one, they are having budgets. The budgets budgets are gonna just increase, and uh, the market will increase. And mm-hmm. it's an obvious deal that they are fulfilling because driver shortage is a real problem in this industry.
1: Right, uh, very interesting.
0: course, be because we're not going to have more people driving vehicles. We're going to have less people driving vehicles in the future. So right, hundred percent. Some point will reach that threshold where where this will you know kind of skyrocket.
1: So so let's switch gears to Druval as an investor. You started doing small angel investing. Uh, what do you look for as an investor, and uh, who have you invested in?
0: Uh, so I used to invest at a very lower frequency over the last couple of years. This year I have invested a lot. Uh, a lot more than actually I had hoped for. Now I have about um, 15 companies in my portfolio. I am probably gonna be at 25 by the end of this year. And my key focus, majority of this, uh, is focused on uh, either SaaS, which is enterprise software, which I understand really well, or any sort of sustainable living, which I truly mm-hmm. believe. In. Um, so that are kind of two theses I have. One, you know, SaaS is because you know I can help entrepreneurs in their early days, Significantly more than what their investors can possibly add as value, uh, because I know that even the se- most seasoned of the investors, you know, they also uh, learn with the entrepreneurs. And if they have somebody, and entrepreneurs a lot of times founders don't want to share every single small hiccup that they go through with their, you know, large shareholders because it just doesn't feel good to them uh, that they are sharing every single small hiccup. It's like very similar to them. my team member would not want to share every single challenge they go through with. Uh, so that's something you know I am that twenty four seven helpline for them. Where I would you know my commitment to founders is. I will never call you once I invest money and I will always pick up your call when you call me after I invest. And that's just like my one-liner pitch. And I I can, I almost guarantee, and i have get, you know, gotten very good feedback from all the founders that the value, that the questions they can ask me, they possibly cannot ask anyone else. Uh, And and that kind of creates a very good relationship. It makes me feel very, very good about the value I'm putting.
1: Yeah.
0: And my taxes are very small, right? So I can't compete with funds and their value.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: 100%. Yeah, yeah, Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So how does it work for you? Like do, I, uh, do you do open sessions with the founders? Founders can reach out to you directly or you be part of uh, other angel networks. Uh, 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 how does the decision-making work for you?
0: It's across. Uh, so you know, LinkedIn is a great source now to you know for founders to reach out. So I get a lot of messages literally every day on LinkedIn. Yeah. I am a part of uh, multiple angel networks in India, outside India, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: primarily India and US only actually um and uh, i have a lot of uh, investor friends now which means uh, all the investors who uh, who i pitched to but did not you uh, know but rejected <laughs> me uh, <laughs> I've become useful. friends i can get to yeah i get to stay in touch with them and now at least you know i can i can always go back and tell them hey guys you know i, I know what you guys don't understand about saas so if you're really putting like a 20 million check in a SaaS company in series A, you know, you would rather just you know, take my help in diligence. What I can get you in returns, what I'm asking in returns is that, you know, allow me to put a small check alongside.
1: Uh, okay, very smart. That yeah.
0: way I get a lot of deals also inbound uh, mm. from mm. a lot of investors who might be investing and they're like, you know, hey, Trubil, we are investing into this one. Why don't you have a look? Uh, and that's kind of a good validation because somebody already has done a lot of diligence, which I can't do individually. I can't spend so much time yeah yeah so so yeah multiple very unorganized way of deal sourcing right now of course People yeah you're do- doing
1: it passively yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and you're uh, yeah Because I
0: still like spend less than 10% of my time I, I can't afford to spend more than that so. of course of course so As speaking of problems.
1: time speaking of time right the time is an interesting thing in our lives for everyone so um wh- what do you do when you're not working on Logitech what do you enjoy to do when it's not Logitech
0: so I have so honestly if you'd asked me this question two years ago I would have answered. answer <laughs> Because all, all I did was Logitext. Uh, it, it sounds kind of sad, <laughs> but that was the reality. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I, I have no memories of what else I have done except for Logitext. You Next. got
1: married two years back. Come on, Jubil, don't do this. You got married two years back, right? No, I got married five years back. Five years back. Okay, yeah, I remember that. Okay. The last
0: two years, it's been it's been very different because of the pandemic. I think it, it gave mm. me an opportunity to spend some time with family. Uh, it, uh, it gave me... Uh, you know, a portion you to kind of sit, you know, sit back and reflect because my travel significantly went down and I've been traveling like crazy from, you know, 2016 to 2019. So suddenly it just became zero. Uh, you know, I had to spend time with the family. So like, I really got a chance to peep into their lives, you know, what they are doing, right? What am I here? You know, what is my bigger future, right? You know, what is beyond logic next? I just never had a chance to even think about those. So I developed a lot of like, you know, uh, I, 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 developed empathy towards my family's problem as well, which I didn't even know about. Uh, that was good. Um, I also explored my other side of, uh, you know, personality, which was what do I truly enjoy when I am, you know, not, not working? So, you know, I, I, I love going out for, uh, you know, I love exercising now. I love going out uh, for leisure travel. You know, leisure travel was just not on my list. So, you know, uh, so that's something I do. Uh, you know, I watch a lot of sports now. I do a lot of uh, not so valued activities, which are you know pretty much about checking out new cars that I would love to you know see, checking out Netflix. So a lot of like things which I would have never gotten time to do that. And I have intentionally now decided to switch off at least one day a week, so I don't work at all on Sundays, uh, nothing at all. Um, and then I think most most importantly, I think still I, I, I end up spending half my evenings on Sundays meeting entrepreneurs. So that's something I've been doing for the last two three years where. You know, I get a lot of inbounds for any mentorship also, for advisory boards and all. So I just kind of brainstorm with companies in terms of, you know, what are the challenges? I have no vested interest there whatsoever. I'm not going to invest, but I can just brainstorm with folks from different industries to just learn about what's out there. You know, what are the new kinds of people in this world, which I just, you know, which are outside my SaaS world or software world, right? Um, so that kind of makes me feel very, very uh, complete uh, in terms of there are, there are more things beyond work. And I think I'm very happy with with this additional thing that I've taken up. But it's very new to me, honestly. I'm not a very... Very cool.
1: No, I totally understand. Being an entrepreneur myself, I totally understand uh, how this thing works. But thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me on a Sunday. I so much appreciate that. But this is not my last question. My last question is some words of wisdom that you would give to future your future self
0: future Dhruvil? i would st- i would tell my future Dhruvil to to start uh, to start doing things even earlier and start taking risks and chances even earlier than what i what i did in my life like now i look at you know founders who are 18 years old 21 years old and i just feel i envy them so i think as i grow old i want to keep reminding myself that uh, you know keep taking chances keep taking risks uh, as early as possible obviously not not random things but As long as your gut tells you to do something, go do it as early as you can.
1: Very cool. Thank you very much, Dhruvil, for taking the time. I so much appreciate speaking with you.